everybody. Um, my name is Brad Ebert, and uh, I've had the honor to serve here at Calvary Chapel South Pittsburgh since 2013. And, and it's crazy because I look over at that sign over there, and when we were in the theater, that was my first job at the church was to set that up. I would come early and I would set it up. And it was only because I was the only one tall enough, but that's, that's a different story for a different night. So uh, I just want to pray real quick, and then we're going to get right into it. We're, there's, there's nothing else to it. So Lord, as we gather here, we, we want to welcome you in here, and we want you to speak through me, Lord, and, and, and may we get to know Micah on a deep level and, and see the work and how it relates to us today, Lord. Bless this time and use this time to sharpen us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. So let's pick up in verse 1 right away. So the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So what's in the name of Micah? What does it mean? It means who is like Jehovah. And if you think about it, who is like Jehovah? All the other religions of the world, all of their people are, in, are still in the grave. Ours is risen, so nobody is like our God. There is nobody like him. And, and as we see in the scripture, it says Micah was of Morish. Morish what that was, it was a really small town. And uh, there was kind of, they kind of said it was, it was also known as Marashaha. I'm sorry, I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm 100% sure. But then and when you, as you read through the scripture, you kind of see he mentions both cities separately. So I was really confused by that. So I did a little bit of research. So Marashah, I think that's the right way to say it, was actually the biggest city of that region. And Morasheth was more like, so it was like, if this is, if this is Pittsburgh, Morasheth was like Beaver Falls. So it was up here, right? So that's the easiest way I can explain it to you. So this is like a region of, of little cities. And Morasheth was like a really small city where Micah was from. But really he was, he was, he was prophesizing you know, he came out of that region of Jerusalem, which is about 25 miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, Marishan was, was mentioned in Joshua 15, and that was whenever the lands were distributed to the, to the different tribes. It was fortified in 2 Chronicles 11, 8 by Rehoboam. Asa fought a battle there, and he overwhelmed Zerah the Ethiopian after he cried out for the Lord to help him. Eliezer the prophet denounced disaster against Jehoshaphat and Ahaziah, uh, and the navy that they had built was destroyed. And that was the end of Jehoshaphat's reign. He, he shortly died after that. That was in 2 Chronicles 20. Uh, the city's also mentioned in Micah 2. And then it was plundered and burned by Judas Maccabeus in the Great Revolt of 167 through 160 B.C. And I'm just trying to show you that this city was in play. It was part of it. It was, it was a big part of Jerusalem, or of Israel. Like I said, it was 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And now, you know, when, where, what of, of Micah? Who was he? He was a prophet of Judah. Like, like I said, he was, that's where he was from. But he was a very unique prophet in a way because he really prophesied to both Israel and Judah. He's the only, one of the only prophets that did that. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. And John Corson had an interesting take on Isaiah and Micah. Because a lot of people say that Micah is just like a watered-down version of Isaiah because it's, it's a lot smaller. But, but what John Corson said is when you hear somebody preach a good word, repeat it. Don't be afraid to use somebody else's words. If they're powerful and they're moving and the Spirit's moving in them, use them. It's not stealing from somebody. It's learning and then spreading that knowledge to other people. It's kind of like being a plumber and having an apprentice. You take that apprentice out, be under your wing and you teach him everything you know. And then when he becomes a plumber, he takes on an apprentice and then he teaches him everything he knows that I taught him, right? It's kind of the same concept as that. But he was a contemporary of Isaiah, like I said. And at that time, Amos and Hosea were prophesying in Israel. Uh, like I said in the, in the intro, he prophesied, the, I'm sorry, the first verse, he prophesied during the reigns of three separate kings. And the first one was Jotham. And he ruled between 750 and 735 BC. Now, the Haley's Bible commentary is very interesting when you look at the list of kings. Because he had his own rating system for the kings. And it's actually kind of funny if you think about it. 
But he rated Jotham as a good king. But during Jotham's reign, Assyria began to grow stronger. They weren't the superpower they, they were in 722, but they, be, they were growing. They were becoming stronger. He was a good king, but he ignored the high places. He didn't tear down the high places like he was supposed to. But you'll read that a lot with the, even the good kings. Ahaz ruled from 735 to 715, and he was wicked. He, um, he, he went as far as child sacrifice. And he also shut down the temple and would not allow people to worship. And then we get to Hezekiah. And the Bible commentary rated him as the best. Fourteen years into his reign, Israel fell in 722. And we're going to turn to Jeremiah 26. I did study under Tim Green, so there will be jumping. I apologize. So as we turn to Jeremiah 26, we're going to look at verses 17 and 19. And, and put this, this in context of what's going on here. Jeremiah is in jail and they're threatening to kill him and put him to death. And this is the response to that situation that's going on. Verse 17, certain, Then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins. And the mountain of the temple, like the bare hills of the forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all of Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing a great evil against ourselves. And that's speaking on them threatening to kill Jeremiah. So in this situation, Micah's, Micah's his whole ministry was uplifted. It was encouraged here. This is 100 years later, and he's talk, they're talking about Micah. So what that tells me is Micah's ministry was effective. Right? Because the kingdom didn't fall for several more years after this. So it was an effective ministry. And he, 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 he was the prophet during the great reformation of Hezekiah, which you can find in 2 Kings 18 through 20. What was going on in Israel at this point in Judah was it was a society of, in change. It was in defiance to Moses' law. Does that sound familiar? Wealthy investors were buying up all the family farms. They were turning them into land developments walmarts and things like that putting mom and pop shops out of business crushing the little people this was creating serious problems as you can imagine people were probably losing everything as they were pushed out of their own lands michael would champion these people he would be the first social justice warrior he was a voice for the oppressed against what we're going to refer to them as robber barons and they were selfish people and only cared about one thing, and that was making money and gaining power. And as we get into the book of Amos, this will be an echoed thing. He, he kind of champions the, the downward. He champions the oppressed people. Micah saw the coming judgment. He saw it coming. Israel would fall to Assyria in 722. You're going to hear it four million times. Judah would fall to the Babylonians in 586 B.C sought to call the Jews back to a faithful worship. Not just an empty worship that didn't mean anything, a faithful worship. He pled for social, social justice and he had, a, he had a real concern for the helpless. He, he really did care. But they refused to listen. And when I say they, I mean the leaders, the robber barons, the people that had their ambitions and the things they wanted to get done. Micah received three messages from the Lord. And we're only going to look at the first one today. And that first message is the warning message, that judgment is coming. The second message is a promise. And it's a deliverer is coming. And the third one is a challenge. And the challenge is to trust the Lord. So let's pick up in verse 2. Hear all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. So Micah immediately sounds the bell. The court has conveyed. 
You need to picture these first five verses as if they're a court of law. God as the judge, of course. Judah and Samaria as the defendants. He addresses all the people of the earth, though, not just them. Because God is the God of the entire earth. It's not, he's not just the God of Samaria and Judah. All nations are accountable to him. God is both judge and witness. And that should be, that should be a little bit terrifying. And he, it says in the scripture, he sits at his holy temple and he is the witness. A holy God must act in righteousness and he must judge sin. Verse three, for behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. So the judge arrives. And what do we all do whenever a judge comes in the room? We all stand. We rise. Please rise for the honorable whoever, right? And it's, it's not just a symbol of respect to the judge. It's also a symbol of respect to the law. And it says in the scripture, he will come down. God opens the court and he declares war on these robber barons. He declares war on the people that are oppressing people. God hates oppression. God doesn't need a witness because like I said, he is the witness. He sees the people's sins. He's angry. He doesn't like oppression. He's, he's angry enough to melt mountains. He's angry enough to split the earth. Verse 5. All this is for the transgressions of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel that the transgressions of... What are the transgressions of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field. The places for planting a vineyard, I will pour down her stones into the valley and I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with a fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and she shall return to the pay of a harlot. Michael, would, this is, he's speaking here of the destruction of Samaria. Michael would actually live to see this. Isaiah called Samaria the crown of pride with glorious beauty. The Assyrians would turn that city into rubble. Their idols couldn't protect them. Just like our tanks and our planes and our soldiers, our Marines, when the judgment of God comes, it's, they're not going to be able to save you. There's not one president who can save you. There's no politician that can save you. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a national pride. I'm not saying you shouldn't love your country. But what I'm saying is don't depend on your country to save you from your sin. The destruction in this case was for the rebellion against the Word of God. He destroyed the temple because it was a false religion. Remember that they set up golden calves. It was a religious prostitution. Throughout the Old Testament, idolatry was compared to prostitution. He destroyed the temple in Jerusalem because the leaders turned to false worship of Jehovah. Yeah, they seemed great. They seemed holy. But they were praying to other gods. And Jehovah is a jealous God and he will not share our worship. Tim has covered this several times over the last couple Sundays. It's a healthy jealousy that God has for you because he loves you and he wants you to be with him. It's the same jealousy I have for my wife it's the same jealousy she would have if I was talking to another woman improperly. It's a healthy jealousy. The destruction of Samaria began in 17, 722, as we've talked about several times, under Sargon II. He was the ruler of Assyria at that time. Many were held captive and killed. They were taken from the land and they were intermarried to Gentiles. And they were despised by the Jews. And when I say that, I mean Judah. Um, uh, they had no dealings with Samaritans. And we read this in John 4, 
Verses 7 through 9, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city for food, to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you bring, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And we all know how that ended. By the time Jesus was done having his conversation with her, she was an evangelist going to the village and doing the job that his disciples should have been doing the whole time. The disciples went to buy food, but when they came back, they weren't clamoring for Jesus. They just went to do their job and go buy food. And we need to keep that in mind as we do our jobs. We're doing that for the Lord, right? We're doing it. We're going we're gonna to preach the Lord while we work, right? It's part of our ministry. But she went back to the village and then she, she had the fields ready for Jesus. They were plowed. They were, he was ready to plant seeds. They did the job that she did the job her disciples should have been doing. Verse 8. Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go strip, stripped and naked. I will, ha- I will make a wailing like the jackals and the mourning like the ostriches. For her, wo- her wounds are incurable, for it has come to Judah. It has come to the gate of my people. So he's speaking here of the ruin of Judah. Samaria was toxic, and it spread to Judah. Have you ever been around a toxic, toxic person? Have you ever been a toxic person? Because I know I have. And this just doesn't go to sports teams, because you'll see that a lot. Somebody will get a bad attitude, and it spreads from one player to the next. But the same thing can happen in a church. You're not happy that your pastor picks somebody else to run a ministry. So what do you do? You go around and you undermine it and you tell everybody, I'm not going to that. We got to be careful. We don't become toxic. Michael wept for the land, as most prophets did. For he, they cared very deeply for the people. If they didn't, who would want to go around and preach this word and be persecuted the way they were if they didn't love the Lord and the people. Isaiah 1, 5, and 6 says this, Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. And the whole heart faints. From the sole of your foot to your head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises are putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. So they're not healing. They're being wounded, but they're not healing. And that's kind of what Micah was saying. Jeremiah 6.4 says, For thus the Lord of hosts said, Cut down trees and build a mound against Israel. This is the city to be punished. She is full of oppression in her midst, and God hates oppression. He hates it. Jeremiah 7.8 says, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Jeremiah 8.11 says, For they have healed the hurt of, of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace where there is no peace. And I think that's really speaking to the false prophets, and we're going to get into them a little bit more later. Micah describes the ruin. We're going to go take a look at 2 Kings 19. This happened in 701 BC. They took 46 cities in Judah after they took Samaria out. But they could not take Jerusalem because God protected it. We're going to go to 2 Kings 19 and, and take a look at verses 14 through 19. I'll give you guys a second to get there. Okay. So picking up right in verse 14. Now this is in the reign of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. This letter is from the king of Assyria basically threatening him telling him his time was up. Um, I'm sorry, Hezekiah received the letter in the hand and the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. So, you know, if somebody sent me a threatening letter, or you know, I shouldn't say me, but I think our society as a whole, we're more, you know, going to lay that letter out, take a picture of it and post it on Facebook and say, look what this person sent me. But Hezekiah doesn't do that. He turns to the Lord. 
And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Senarechaburb, I don't know, which he has sent to reproach the living God. That's the king of Assyria, by the way. You can't just have names like Fred. Um, Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and the lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, speaking of the idols. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from the hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. And that's why I I think that Hezekiah is called the best. That is beautiful. And that's what we should all do when we face troubles. Our boss is coming down on us. We're in big trouble. Instead of running to Facebook or running to gossip with people or telling somebody that's going to run and tell other people, turn to the Lord first. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying you can't have people in your life that you trust. That you, that they're people you can share things with. I have several, and they're wonderful men. But we're going we're gonna to go down to 32 and see God's response in the same chapter. He says some things about the king of Assyria, but I want to get to what he says about Hezekiah and Israel. And in, in Judah, I'm sorry. Verse 32 says, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there nor come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the way that the same shall he return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So the Lord saved Jerusalem because of what Hezekiah did. Because he reached out to him in his time of need, 46 cities were taken. It had to feel hopeless. And as we get into the next section of Scripture here, Mike is going to talk about the destruction of many cities. And he uses a lot of wordplay to do it. Puns, but these are not funny. But he uses their names against them of the cities because everything means something, right? In the Bible. Verse 10. Tell it not to Gath, weep not at all. Gath means tell. They're not going to tell them anything because it's going to be wiped out. In Beth Ephraim, roll yourself in dust. Of course, the word Beth means house. Ephraim means dust. So that is house of dust. So, you know, a a traditional way of showing mourning is to cover yourself in dust. So so he's telling them there they're going to be mourning. Verse 11, pass by in naked shame, you inhabitants of Shafir. Shafir means beautiful, pleasant or beautiful, but they will not be beautiful. They will be beat up. They will be ugly. And they will be pulled away as POWs naked. The, the inhabitant of Zanan does not go out. Zanan, of course, means go forth. But they will not be going anywhere because they'll be sieged. They'll be held into their building by, or their, their town by a siege. They won't be able to leave. And when, when they siege cities and, 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 and castles and stuff, the point is just to starve them out. Beth Ezel mourns. Its place to stand is taken away from you. And that means house of taken away. They won't have their place anymore. It'll be gone. Verse 12, for the inhabitant of Morath pinned for good, but disaster came down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Merith means bitterness, and God saying they will suffer a great calamity there. 13, O inhabitant of Lachish. Nobody really knows what Lachish means, but they were known for their horses. They were known for having swift steeds. Uh, for, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Like I said, it means swift horses. You know, they think it means like swift horses because they were known for horses. But these horses won't be mounting up to fight wars. They will be fleeing and running away. Uh, Psalm 27 tells us some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And this is another case where I don't care how strong our military is, we can't stop the judgment of God. 
Verse 14, therefore you shall give presents to Morsheth Gath. Morsheth means betrothed. And when a bride was given away as a wife, they would give her gifts before she would leave. So that's what he's saying is they're going to be given away. The house of Echazib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. And that Echazib just means deception. Verse 15, I will bring an heir to you, O inhabitant of Merashah. And that means conquer. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Now, Adullam was the place where David fled for refuge from King Saul. And what this is saying, and that's in 1 Samuel 22, and what this is saying is that it will once again be a place of refuge for Israel. Verse 16 says, Make yourself bald and cut off your hair because of your precious children. So it's saying to mourn and show your children the way you suffer. Show them what's happening in your life. Enlarge your baldness like an eagle, for you shall go from from you into captivity. So this can be this can be very dark part of scripture, right? All this destruction, and there's got to be so much death. And the one thing that kind of struck me about this is, you know, as Mike is going through and he's prophesying to everybody, he had to have picked up some people that were listening, right? And people had to have been, you know, maybe not like almost following him. And I tried to put Micah in my time, right? What if Micah is here prophesying and saying, you know, things like Pleasant Hills will be pleasant no longer. Whitehall will become black as the night. Baldwin will drown and the floods of streets run road. And if you're from Baldwin, you're going to find that funny. Pittsburgh will melt like steel. And, and I thought to myself, man, that's my hometown. That's where I'm from. So just, just think about how hopeless these people felt as they're listening to this. But one thing I will tell you is to never give up. When things are dark, that is the best time for your light to shine. Continue to point people to repentance in these times. You know, we're not really dealing with cities being burnt to the ground, well, at least not here, or our towns being wiped out. But we all have some kind of ruin in our life, whether it's our marriage isn't as great as we wish it could be, or pray it could be, not wish. Maybe our work life isn't as great as we want it to be. Maybe we're not the best employee we can be. We don't really give 100%. We have a bad attitude sometimes. But when we're in those places where we feel like everything's in ruin, we can't lose hope. We have to keep pointing people to repentance. Micah preached for possibly 25 years before the revival of Hezekiah's time. 25 years of nothing until the revival came. So if he can do it for 25 years, I think you can put up with two or three years of your older brother or not giving his life to the Lord. Because we can all find ourselves in that place of frustration. I keep sharing with this guy. I keep sharing with this guy. He's just not responding to it. Excuse me. I just want to give you some, some scriptures to encourage you. If, you're, if something in your life's in ruins, it's just keep pushing. Just never give up. Galatians 6, 9 tells us, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight tells us, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then another question we have to ask ourselves is why suffering? Why would God do this to his people? They were his heritage. Imagine doing something like this to your own kids. They were a privileged people. You know, I really juggle with this because there's a difference between rights and privileges. A right is available to all citizens while privileges are granted to individuals and groups on the basis of their status, rank, title, membership in a group. Suffrage or the right to vote today was available to only white males not that long ago. It was a privilege then, but it's a right now. Many of the rights today were once privileges granted to higher classes. John 1:11 through 13 tells us, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, 
To them he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we have the right to be children of God based off of our faith in Jesus Christ. Not the privilege, the right. Privileges are exclusive rights that are available to chosen few. And that was, that was the Jews. Privileges are conditional and can be withdrawn while rights are inherent and cannot be taken away. But privilege, privilege brings responsibility and responsibility brings accountability. So that's why they're suffering. God would hold them accountable for two particular sins as we move into chapter two. The first one will be covetousness. The second one will be listening to false prophets. So let's move on to chapter two. Verse one of chapter two, woe to those who devise iniquity. And what is iniquity? Iniquity is basically just sin. You know, this is what I do because there's a lot of times, I've probably heard iniquity of three million times, you know, since I've been reading the Bible and I never really knew what it was. So I look up words all the time. I, I do it all the time. You can even ask Siri if you don't want to look through a, a dictionary. Uh, and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is the power of their hand. How evil is that to lay in bed and plan your evilness and then just wake up in the morning to go practice it? They covet fields and take them by violence, also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. So the first five verses really address the covetousness of, of the people. And this, this sounds a lot like Ahab, right? What did Ahab do? He really, really, really wanted a vineyard. So he told his wife to go, to go kill a guy so he could have it. That's the, that's the kind of people we were dealing with here. If you didn't want to give it to them, they're going to take it from you. But what they didn't realize is that the land was supposed to remain with the families and, and their tribes. The land belonged to the Lord. He leased it to them. It wasn't theirs. It, rever and, and, and it reverted back in the year of Jubilee. What is the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee came every 50 years. and It was a year of full releasing people from their debts, releasing all slaves and returning property to who owned it. You can find this in Leviticus 25, 1 through 13. It was a year that was to be dedicated to rest. So every seven years they rested. And, and as they went through that cycle seven times, that's 49 years. So they would rest the 49th year and rest the 50th year. And they didn't do this. And they would eventually be punished in the book of Daniel for this. What this year of Jubilee did, though, is it kept the rich from oppressing the poor. It wouldn't allow them to continue to just accumulate things and take from, from the little people. We talked about them before the robber barons. They would buy up large estates and they would evict people, remove them by violence like we read. This was against God's law. This is not what God wanted for his people, but they had no fear. But they should have fear because God is the one that makes the law. And this goes back to the whole thing is just because men make something a law doesn't mean it's right. They thought they made the rules, but they don't. Verse three, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks, nor shall you walk hauntly, for this is an evil time. And that day one shall take up a proverb against you and laminate, laminate your bitter lamentation, saying, we are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage of my people, how he has removed it from me. To turncoat, he has divided our fields. Therefore, you will have no one to determine boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. So he's talking about the robber barons there. They won't have their power and influence forever. Their sin was covetousness, but that is deeply tied into materialism. And materialism might be the biggest form of covetousness that we suffer here in America. We acquire more and more things. And most of us know in, in our hearts that we acquire nice things because we want people to notice us. People work too much. They're forgetting about their families. What good is all that money if you have no family? 
They were robbing God of their, of their tithes. You know, whenever I sit down and do my Dave Ramsey budget every month, I just take my tithe out and it's not mine. It, that belongs to God. It's his money. And he, really all of it's his money, I should say that. But I have no right to dictate where any of that money goes. It's not mine. I give it to my church and I trust that they're going to put it to good places and I know they do. They will reap what they sow. They can't continue to go on and, and oppress people and not expect to face judgment at some point. Move on to verse 6. We're moving on to the prophets, the lying prophets. Do not prattle, you say to those who prophesy, so they shall not prophesy to you. He, he shall not return insult for insult. So he's talking about the false prophets here, and the false prophets attacked Micah. Just like they did in Jeremiah 5 to Jeremiah, and just like they do in Amos 7. Uh, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? That's from Jeremiah 5. And it's because God, or, I'm sorry, it's because Micah preached God's truth. And you'll find as you go on in your Christian life that you're not going to be the most popular person at work. People are going to make fun of you. You're not going to get invited to lunch. And I've experienced all these things personally. They hurt. But sometimes, but you have to really look at why. You should almost wear it as a badge of honor. A guy one time showed me his phone and he said, when, some, when I call him, a picture of Jesus comes up standing like this. And I went, that's great, Doug. I'm glad that's who you think of when I call you. He thinks it's embarrassing and making me feel terrible. But, you know, people are going to come at you. They don't want to hear the truth. And if you don't believe me, I'll have Cindy come up to you and tell, her, tell me things about myself that I don't want to hear. And, and you'll see that that's true. We don't like to hear the truth. These men also had very shallow faith. They would say, we're the children of Abraham. Nothing's going to happen to us. And what I can recommend to you is don't count on your parents' faith. That's standing in shallow water. God wants you to venture out into the deep end and jump in and, and search him yourself. It's wonderful if your parents set up a, a nice foundation for you, but you have to search for the Lord yourself. They never, they just didn't believe God would anything bad happen to them. We got the temple. Well, we got Abraham. We're the children of Abraham. What's going to happen to us? God's promises involve the precepts. And what's a precept? It's a general rule to regulate behavior or thought. We have obligations as well as our blessings. It's not just blessing, blessing, blessing. It's, we have obligations. We can't just go through the motions of life. We can't just waltz in here at 10.35 after it's already started, come in here and just sing the songs and sit and play on our phones for 45 minutes or an hour, you know, listen a little bit, and then just run out of here to go watch the Steelers or whatever else is going on in your life. I tell my family this a lot. Ministry happens before and after church. Setting up signs, whatever. Whatever you can do for the kingdom of God. That's the kind of servant he wants. I jokingly used to tell people, what do you do for the church? And I said, I'm spray foam. Because what does spray foam do? It fills voids. That's what I want to be. I just want to be available to the Lord. And you know, honestly, at the end of church, what makes the end of church awesome is when somebody gives their life to Christ. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to just, I mean, you, you're not going to be able to stay late every day. I, I get it. We all got stuff going on. But I don't want to miss it. It takes me right back. I say the prayer with them because I want to say it again, right? So awesome. So, you know, like I said, just don't make this just a, something you check off the box every day. Come here and serve. Become somebody that gives out and somebody that just consumes. Um, so pop.
It usually is false religion. And I'm, that is not an attack on megachurches. Megachurches, some megachurches, they just get big, right? And that's awesome. It's not, that's not an attack on megachurches. Because, you know, you would say, well, that's popular. But no, no, that's not what I mean by popular. What I mean is whenever the music becomes more important than the sermon, right? They do 15 songs, then have a 15-minute motivational speech and see you later, have, have fun. We all love to sing and have a good time, but, but our worship needs to be deeper than that. Matthew 7, 13 through 20, enter by the narrow gate, for, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who will go by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are a few who will find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes and figs and thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by the fruits you will be known to them. So that talks about the false prophets, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. We kind of went down a rabbit trail and got lost in all that. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The persecution they were facing in this time is a lot harder than not being invited to lunch. I just want to make that clear. We face more of a mental warfare here in our time than we do physical, which isn't easy. But you're going to be persecuted. And like I said, you should almost wear it like a badge of honor. And I always seem to end up in Romans 12. Such a wonderful chapter. I try to read it once a month. We're going to read 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which, you are, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that it is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the part that always gets me there is the conformed part or the transformed part. When you're in an atmosphere, do you conform to it when you're in the world or do you transform the people that are around you? I jokingly always tell people when, the, when somebody sw- curses in front of me and they go, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I've arrived as a Christian. They, they're sorry that they swore in front of me, right? I, I'm joking, but like, you know, you're transforming the atmosphere. People don't want to curse in front of you, right? We want to be that kind of person, and, and I'm not saying go in and beat people over the head with your Bible. What I'm saying is love people. Show them how different you are. And I mean different in a good way. They won't, they'll, you know, when, you, when people get in their lowest times of their life, how do you stay, how do you stay so joyful? What, what secret do you have? And I've always told my family the most important thing is that everybody in the room knows that you're a Christian. And I don't mean that in a, a, a puff me up kind of way. I share with people. Cindy actually tells me sometimes I'm a little too forward. I just can't help it. It just flows out of me. I want to transform the atmosphere. I want people to feel the way I feel. I want them to see there's a better way than going through your life all about yourself. Let's move on to verse 7. You who are named the house of Jacob... And is the spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe and your garment from those who trust you as they pass by like men returning from war. The women, my people, you cast out. The women of my people, you cast out from the pleasant houses, from their children, You have taken away my glory forever. Arise and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is defiled. It shall destroy, yes, with utter destruction. If a man should walk in false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, 
Even he could be a prattler of his people. So God is speaking to Micah here. He's defending his servant. The rejection doesn't mean that Micah's wrong. We kind of already talked about that. It just means the people listening are wrong. The way we respond to God's word shows our relationship with him. And I, and I truly believe that like, you know, the first few times I heard God's word, I probably left mad. Like, this is, this is no, no, no way. But then as you, as you, as your eyes open, the words start to cut you in your heart and, and they begin to change you. Because the Holy Spirit works from the inside out. He starts in here, he gets in here, and he works his, uh, from the inside out. They, de- uh, they deceived them by you know, ensuring that everything was fine, the false prophets. Everything's fine, nothing to see here. Everything's good. The land was given to the Jewish people in Joshua. Most of you probably know that. After it was conquered, he gave it to them, I should say. But they didn't completely conquer it. They went in and they only went so far and they stopped. And isn't that a picture of what we do? Yeah, I'll stop doing this and that, but I, don't, but I won't stop doing that. No, 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 I'm not giving that up. No way. Uh, they turn to idols instead. They turn to other nations. They rebelled against God. And they would be punished in the book of Judges for that. In, in, the, in the scripture we just read before, Micah urged them to get out of the land because they won't find rest. But the false prophets would say otherwise. False prophets will always tell you what you want to hear. This is why you don't want to surround yourself with yes men. It may come off as, oh, that person loves me. They just want me to be happy. I'd rather have a friend that's going to tell me what he really thinks right to my face. And I've said this before. I think I said this on New Year's. I want a friend that can wound me but not kill me. We all need that friend that's going to be honest and has our best interests in mind. That'll call you and tell you, I think that post you put on Facebook's a really bad idea. And that's happened for me. And I looked at it and his, the way he looked at it and said, you know what, you're right. I didn't tell him to get lost. I'll do what I want. I accepted his godly counsel. So uh, let's move on to verse 12. So verse 12, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many people. The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. So what we see here is faithful prophet, faithful people. Like I said before, Micah had to have picked some people up along the way that were listening to his message, being penetrated in their hearts, and heard what he was saying. We must expose sin and announce judgment. We must. We can't, just can't keep ignoring. We must also provide consolation and hope for those who receive our messages, or Micah in this instance needs to do that. Consolation without repentance is just giving somebody false hope. But conviction without hope creates only hopelessness, like surgery without healing. Imagine having surgery and just you cannot heal. And that's what you do when you, when you don't give somebody hope. You have to give them hope. You know, one thing I've always tried to do as a father is whenever I've disciplined my children, after we all cool down, I go upstairs and I have a calm and collective talk with them. Because you have to give them hope. You have to let them know what they did was wrong, right? That's, that's the relationship I want to have with my kids. They know I'm in charge, but they know I love them. And in this case, Mike, you know, God's speaking to all, all of Israel. And, and, and some people believe that verse 13 is them talking of their Messiah. You know, and he also brings up the remnant and talks about, 
you know, the remnant will always be present. That's an important doctrine in all the prophecies. It, there will always be a remnant of God. Um, they, that remnant will re- return to Babylon after the captivity was over. And they rebuilt the temple. That's um, Ezra and we, we did those books. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the other one. Nehemiah, that's a thank you. They never became the great nation that Micah predicted yet. That day will come when the Lord returns. And this concludes Micah's first message. It did arouse opposition from the false prophets, but it didn't penetrate the hearts of of the majority of the people. But this is why Micah will deliver a second message. And that message is to announce that their deliverer is coming. Sometimes God has to take us to dark places and he has to tear us down completely before he can rebuild us, before he can make us who we always should have been and who he he wants us to be. So all I want to do is encourage you that when when things are down, when, when you're down and you think you're down and out, that's just God getting started. Continue to fight. Continue to have hope. I read those scriptures to you earlier. Do not give up. Even when everything around you feels like it's collapsing. Micah's message here kind of ends in a little bit of hope. And as we get into next week, we'll, like I said, we'll see the deliverers coming. So let's pray and then uh, we'll uh, fellowship. Lord, I thank you for this time and thank you for the prophecy of Micah. Lord, we know through the hardest times in our life, you're with us. And we know that everything that happens to us, including the things that we see as bad, you're just doing it to build character in our hearts. You're putting us in the fire to refine us, not to destroy us, Lord. Lord, I ask as we, as we walk out of here, we, we are bold in our faith and we continue to, to share, pe- share with people and point them to repentance, that they can find that repentance and that forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Lord, we're so thankful for this time. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.